Amen. Well, that certainly is our sentiment and our prayer this morning. Praise the Lord. You know, I, I love America. I'm a patriot. I was raised to be a patriot. My dad was military man, 27 years in the Army. Lieutenant Colonel, he retired as a Lieutenant Colonel and then moved back to Ohio where that was his uh, home state. But uh, we did a lot of traveling, being an Army brat, and uh, was born in Texas, then moved to Okinawa, then from Okinawa to Alabama, from Alabama to Arkansas. He was Deputy Commander of the Arsenal Base there in Arkansas, and then he retired there. We moved up to Ohio, and uh, he became... uh, uh, involved with the Environmental Protection Agency. But uh, he was a proud military man, and uh, he knew all about flag etiquette. I'm not sure we have the proper flag etiquette out there. If we didn't, my dad would be talking to me about it right now. He'd walk the neighborhood, and uh, if somebody wasn't flying, flying the flag properly, because there is rules to flying the flag, he would go up and knock on the door and tell them all about it. So that's how I was raised, and uh, I was very proud of my dad and the service, and my mom was in the service as well in World War II, and when they were buried, they had full military honors, which is great. I, I appreciate that as well. But my dad landed on Normandy, the second-day Normandy. He fought in the Battle of the Bulge. He served uh, briefly under Patton. He liberated the concentration camp, and uh, he lived to tell the story. And so thank God for that, right? I also, also love America because I'm a preacher of the gospel, and I love the fact that we have freedom of religion. We can assemble here today and preach the gospel, and I know there's pressures put on us these days that weren't there 10, 20 years ago. I realize that, but still, thank God for the Constitution. Thank God for Christianity. Thank God for the Bill of Rights. Thank God for... What? The, the, the freedom to assemble, the freedom to speak, the freedom to practice our religion. Amen. And my wife and I have had the privilege, we've gone to 18 different nations, and we've had the privilege of uh, meeting people and uh, ministering the gospel in those nations. And when we come back uh, and go through customs, I always tell that custom officer, God bless America. You know, almost all the time they're in agreement with me. Because America is a great nation. I'd rather live here than any other nation. Uh, and I thank God for those other nations. There's great people there. And they have, uh, you know, the devil took Jesus up on the mountain and he showed them all the glories of the kingdom. And said, all this will be yours if you fall down and worship me. So all the glories of the kingdom. Did you know every nation has its own unique glory that they can offer unto God? For unto him be all glory. But every nation has its own unique glory. And so does the United States of America. And I thank God as a preacher of the gospel, traveling this world, seeing all these other nations. I still love America. Don't you? Love America. America, I believe, has lost its way in so many ways. I'm, I love America. I'm very patriotic, but there's things about this nation that grieve me, that give me great concern, that uh, causes me to stop, drop, and pray for this nation. I'm sure you can say amen to that. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 1, because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be wise, they became fools. That's what happens when a nation, a country, forgets God. They become futile in their thoughts, their foolish hearts become darkened, 
they become foolish. It tells us in Proverbs 14.34, this is out of the New King James Version, it says, Righteousness exalts a nation. That's the title of my message today. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. In the New Living Translation, it's put this way, Godliness makes a nation great, but sin is a disgrace to any people. It seems like our country is turned from God and is headed straight into darkness. It seems like the darkness is enveloping our nation. And you might be thinking, is there any hope for America? And I say there is hope for America because the Bible talks about times when God just did something wonderful in a group of people. The first one is when Jonah went up to Nineveh, which was a city in Assyria, and Assyria was a worldwide empire, and he took this message and told them that judgment is coming, and the scripture says this, so the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Right there in Jonah chapter 3, it tells us that through the preaching of the word of the Lord that judgment was coming, that all of a sudden the whole city repented, and God relented, and they turned to the Lord. That's a city-wide revival. Tells us another story in the book of Kings a king named Josiah. He was king over Judah, and of course they had turned from the Lord as well. And the Bible tells us in 2 Kings 23, now before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. Josiah is a model or example of somebody who turned to God, who turned to God with all his heart. He is set apart from all other kings of Israel as far as a king that is a model or an example of turning to God, and Josiah was able to lead his nation, the nation of Judah, into spiritual revival. Hezekiah is the greatest king when it comes to obeying God. Josiah is the greatest king when it comes to turning from sin to God. David is the greatest king because he was a man after God's own heart. But if God can turn a nation, if God can turn a city, he shows us that in the Old Testament, God can certainly turn a nation back to God. Somebody say amen to that. So I believe that there is hope for America. God made us, you and I, to be salt and light. It tells us that in the book of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Mount you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. And why are we to be salt and light? Well, because America is corrupt, so salt restrains evil. America is in darkness, so light exposes the evil and also points a way out of that darkness. So by us living for God, sharing the gospel, we restrain the evil that is in the world. You might be saying, man, America seems to be headlong into evil. How much worse it would be if we weren't here. Because why? Because the Holy Spirit is on the inside of us, and He is the great restrainer of evil. Amen to that? 
And America obviously is in darkness, but how much greater would that darkness be if we weren't here shining our light and being that salt? Somebody say amen to that. How does righteousness exalt a nation? The Bible says righteousness or godliness exalts a nation. I want to answer that question here today. How does righteousness exalt a nation? Number one, it gives America righteous leaders. And boy, do we not need righteous leaders? Good grief. From Washington, D.C. to Lansing, Michigan to the courtroom to mayors to those that sit on city council and school boards we need righteous leaders it tells us in proverbs 29 verse 2 when the righteous are in authority the people rejoice the people rejoice but when a wicked man rules the people groan now this is obviously talking about people that love righteousness and hate iniquity but when a righteous leader is in authority we rejoice in that oh thank god this is awesome Thomas Jefferson said this, the government you elect is the government you deserve. Woo, boy, I tell you what, that's pretty tough, isn't it? But there's a lot of truth to that, isn't there? You know, leaders arise from the culture. We understand that. You might be saying, well, why isn't there better leaders? Why don't we have better, better uh, people in Congress? Why don't we have a better president? Why don't we have a, a better governor? Why don't we have better school board? However you want to phrase it, why, why don't we have somebody better? And I want you to know they are a reflection of where we're at as a nation. The government you elect is the government you deserve. 2 Samuel 23 verse 3 talks about the type of leader every nation should want. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. So the Bible says that God desires leaders of nations and people to be just, righteous, people of integrity, ruling in the fear of God. They, they bow their knee, they acknowledge God, they don't want to disappoint or disobey God, they want to lead people in righteousness according to the laws of God because they fear God. They realize He is the ultimate authority and one day they'll give account before God. Not just the leaders, but all of us must one day give account before the Lord. Leaders are both a reflection of the culture, and leaders also can be change agents of the culture. Joshua was raised up by God. Moses had laid his hand on him and commissioned him to lead the nation of Israel into the promised land, and Joshua was a wonderful leader of the nation of Israel. It says in Numbers 27, O Lord, you are the God who gives breath to all creatures. Please appoint a new man as leader for the community. I don't know about you, but I, when election time comes, I pray this way. O Lord, give us men and women who can lead us in righteousness and with integrity and stand for what is right and remove from office those that won't. And I wish God would answer that question, that, that, that prayer a little bit more often. <laughs> 
Please appoint a new man as leader for the community. Give them someone who will guide them wherever they go and will lead them into battle so the community of the Lord will not be like sheep without a shepherd. This is Moses' prayer. God answered it by giving him a godly, righteous man to anoint, which was Joshua, who literally is a type of Jesus Christ who led the people into the promised land and defeated the enemy and brought them into the promises of God. And our Savior, Jesus, has done that for us. So we understand that uh, leaders can reflect the culture, but leaders also can be change agents. Joshua was, Moses was, but there is a wicked king in Israel who was a change agent towards evil. In 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 30, it says, This was done because Jeroboam had provoked the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, by the sins he had committed and the sins he had led Israel to commit. So here's a leader that didn't lead his people to God or lead them in righteousness, but rather led them away from God into unrighteousness. And the sin of Jeroboam essentially was he made golden calves put them in the city of Bethel, and said, Israel, here is your God. So he created a whole religion, false religion, and encouraged the northern kingdom of Israel to worship those golden calves. Takes you right back, right, at Mount Sinai when Aaron made a golden calf and said, here is the God that will led you out of Egypt. There Jeroboam is, hundreds and hundreds of years later, doing the exact same thing. He led Israel into idolatry. Leaders can be a force of good and also a force of evil. That's why God tells us to pray for our leaders. That's why righteousness exalts a leaders, uh, a nation, because it can give us godly, righteous leaders. And we need that, don't we? We need that in the church, in the home, at Lansing, the White House, all over this world. We need righteous leaders. How does righteousness exalt a nation? Number two, it gives America moral citizens. John Adams, the second president of the United States, he was George Washington's vice president. He became president. He says this, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Democracy, we the people, I mean, we appreciate that so much, but we need to understand that when the people turn from God and embrace evil, I want you to know that they then began to promote that. And uh, rather than living a lifestyle in such a way that secures freedom and prosperity and the blessings of God, they live in such a way, the people, and they elect leaders who govern in such a way that bring about the wrath of God. Well, I say this, people in America need to be saved. Christians in America need to be revived. The scriptures need to be rediscovered. And pastors need to preach the gospel. And may God help us to do that. It says in Proverbs 14, verse 9, talking about America and moral citizens, fools mock at sin, but among the upright there is favor. Fools mock at sin. And the New Living Translation says, Fools make fun of guilt, but the godly acknowledge it and seek reconciliation. Well, I'm so glad the month of June is over and the Gay Pride Month. Now we can have the month of July and celebrate pride in America. Our freedoms, right? 
And rather than mock at sin and embrace sin and tolerate sin and cherish sin and call good evil and evil good, we need citizens like you and I that will stand for what is right and call good good, evil evil, truth truth, and error error. Amen. We need to, as Jesus said, God gave him a great anointing because he loved righteousness and hated iniquity. And that's what God needs to work in us, to be lovers of righteousness and haters of iniquity. So righteousness exalts a nation by, number one, giving America righteous leaders. So be praying for our leaders. It gives America moral citizens. And let's pray that more and more people get saved. People get saved. You know, as darkness envelops the land, the light shines brighter. Hopelessness, as darkness just increases, hopelessness also increases. And perhaps there will be a great turning to God, an attraction to the light. People will wake up and say, man, there has to be something better than this. The darkness, the immorality that we see can actually be Something that God uses to draw them into Jesus Christ. Number three, it gives America biblical justice. Biblical justice. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 28, verse 5, evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand all. We know that the Bible says that God is a God of justice. We know that when The Lord comes back a second time. The Bible says it'll be as the days of Noah and also be as the days of Lot. So there'll be great violence and lawlessness, that's Noah, and great immorality, that's the days of Lot. Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. It tells us that in the New Testament, Jesus spoke that to us. The word iniquity speaks about lawlessness, without law. And of course, that could be without moral law. So fall into great sin, but also without God's, God's laws governing behavior, right, in a society. Lawlessness shall abound. Lawlessness shall abound. God is a God of justice. Righteousness exalts a nation because they embrace what I call biblical justice that in many ways is different than what we call social justice. Let me talk about biblical justice. Number one, it's truthful. There's four points to biblical justice. Number one, it's truthful. Number two, it's proportional. Number three, it's direct. And number four, it's impartial. Let's take a look at this. Biblical justice is truthful. Psalm 19.9, the judgments of the Lord are true. True. So biblical justice is truthful. It finds the truth. It punishes the guilty and sets free the innocent. It's based on truth. Number two, it's proportional. And Exodus 21, 24 says, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, in that passage of Scripture, a lot of times people look at that as being harsh. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But uh, a tooth for a tooth. But actually, it's not harsh. What it's saying is it must be proportional. You know, you poke out my eye, I'll kill you. 
Of course, that's an, that's an exaggeration. And biblical justice says it needs to be proportional. If somebody pokes out your eye, it's proportional justice. You take a life, a life is required. You poke out an eye, an eye is required. You t- chop off a hand, a hand is required. It's proportional. You're not supposed to give too much punishment, nor are you supposed to not give enough punishment. Biblical justice is proportional. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It was, that commandment was given to restrain the idea of vengeance and punishment far beyond what the crime required. It wasn't a harsh commandment, an eye for an eye. It actually was a limiting commandment. Everybody following that? An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So it's truthful and it's proportional. Biblical justice is, number three, direct. Listen to this. Those who are responsible are the ones who are punished. In other words, you don't punish somebody else for somebody else's crime, another person's crime. You punish the evildoer, the one that committed the crime, not their children, not some other group, but that particular person. It's direct. It tells us in Ezekiel 18, verse 20, the soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him self. So there we have righteousness exalting a nation because it produces righteous leaders, it produces moral citizens, it produces biblical justice. Number four, biblical justice is impartial. Impartial. In other words, it doesn't open its eyes and look at the rich and rule in their favor, nor does it open up its eyes and rule for the poor and rule in their favor. Lady Justice is blind, right? Blind. It's impartial. Listen to what it says in Leviticus 19, verse 15. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial, listen to this, to the poor. Sometimes we think, well, we need to be partial to the poor because of their upbringing. They didn't have the advantages. And so the, the law, Lady Justice, needs to look at uh, their situation and, and not give them justice that they are due because they committed the crime, but yet there's mitigating factors, their poverty, their upbringing, uh, their skin color, their, their class, their ethnicity, their educational or lack thereof. Therefore, because of all these things that we consider poor, we then will not give proper justice. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. So it shouldn't matter if you're the president of the United States or you're a very poor person from Appalachia. It shouldn't matter when you stand in the court of law. Biblical justice is blind in the sense it doesn't see. It just looks at the truth and makes proper judgment. Somebody say amen to that. In righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. So biblical justice is truthful, proportional, direct, and number four, impartial. Righteousness exalts a nation because it gives America moral clarity. A quote from Martin Luther, the founder of the Lutheran Church. 
Martin Luther called the Bible the external world. It's fixed, it's complete, and it's outside of you and me and everyone else. This is profoundly essential. No truth, no truth was ever sourced by a human being. No truth ever originated with a human being. You may discover it, you may learn it, you may understand it, you may reject it, but you are not its source. The external, external word. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word abideth forever, right? Jesus in John 17, your word is truth. It's outside of us. Truth comes ultimately from God. Truth is not how you feel. It doesn't arise from within. Moral relativism comes along and says there's no ultimate authority. Nobody can tell you how to behave morally. Personal freedom says there are no divine rules, and humanistic atheism says there's no sovereign judge. No absolutes, no ultimate authority, no divine rules, and no sovereign judge. And that's perfectly fine to the sinner. He likes that. That's amiable to him because that's natural to his fallen condition. So it's easy to create a whole culture that thinks that way because you've already have an affinity to that kind of deception in every human heart. I'm just living my truth. I'm just embracing my most authentic self. This is how I feel. You can't judge me. Because my truth, my morals are my truth and my morals. Well, the Bible says there is something that is outside of us that comes from God, and that's his word, his truth, his morality. We find it from the Lord. Righteousness exalts a nation because it gives America moral clarity. It says in Psalm 33, verse 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. I have a long thing on Judeo-Christian ethics, but it's too long to read it here. I'm running out of time. Number five, how does righteousness exalt a nation? It gives America God's blessing, not his wrath. We need to understand in Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul talks about nations, people, a culture, and the downward slide. And it's the eternal word of God. It's forever established It's for us in America as well as for the ancient empires. At the time that Paul wrote it, Rome was the prevailing empire. And, of course, Rome collapsed on itself because of its immorality. It says in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 24 to 28, Because I have called and you refused, I have stretched out my hand and no one regarded, because you disdained all my counsel. And then this can be an individual, this could be a family, this could be a people, this could be a nation, all right? We're rejecting God. Because you disdained all my counsel and would have none of my rebuke, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes. When your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Talks about how God will not be there for those that have just turned their back on God. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1 talks about this downward slide. Boy, I tell you what, it fits America to a T. And Proverbs 1 verse 24 says, I'm going to read verse 24, verse 26, and verse 28. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts, 
to dishonor their bodies among themselves. When God begins to give a nation over to their darkness, over to their sin, over to their rebellion, the first thing that falls away or they fall into is sexual immorality. That's what that means when it says God gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. We all know about the sexual revolution that hit America in the 60s and 70s. That's the time that I was raised. I remember those, my early teen years, the sexual revolution. And America turned its back on the morality of Scripture and turned and embraced immorality. And that was the first step towards God giving that culture, that nation, that people over to greater and greater wickedness. That's verse 24. He goes on in verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. So that's talking about, and if you read verse 27, it talks about men working that which is unseemly with men. So it goes from sexual immorality to lesbianism and homosexuality. When God begins to judge a nation and give that nation over to their rebellion and their embrace of sin, that nation then is given over to sexual immorality, which America has been given over to that, and then into homosexuality. And of course, America has been given over to that. We have as a nation, I'm talking about you or me, but as a nation has, has embraced that as an alternative way of living. And it goes on in verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. So that's the downward slide. We turn our back from God. We don't acknowledge him as God. We don't worship him as God. We worship and serve the creation, not the creator. God gives that people over to sexual immorality. They don't repent. God then gives them over to homosexuality. They don't repent. That God then gives them over to a debased or a depraved mind to where they no longer know good and evil. When God lets a nation go, first, when God lets a nation go, they sink to immorality, and then they sink to homosexuality. First, it's heterosexual sin, and then it's homosexual sin. Does anybody question that we're there? And then in Romans 1, the third step, God gave them over to a debased or depraved mind. What is that? It's the Greek word meaning a useless mind. The mind is morally incapable of making a right judgment. And when you get to that point, there's no recovery. And you know a society has reached this when the society will not tolerate anyone making moral judgments. If you want to be an enemy of our culture, start making moral judgments. Well, this, uh, this message was a lot easier to preach 10 years ago than it is now. Because 10 years ago, I was convinced that everybody at church would say yes and Amen. Now I'm not so convinced somebody might be offended that you're making moral judgments and preaching on this or that as sin. Well, if it's confusing in the church, how much more confusing is it out there when those that had never been saved and had the light of Jesus Christ shine brightly on the inside of them and, and, and has had that wonderful salvation where God delivers them from evil and sin and brings them into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of righteousness. Well, we need to be a church that preaches the truth, proclaims the truth, stands for truth, right? We need to be that type of church. Why is that? Because that's what we need and our families need, and that's what our country, our nation needs. 
Remember, grace saves, truth frees. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. All right, very good. So what should be our response to this message? Righteousness exalts a nation. Well, obviously, we pray for our country. We need to go out into the world uh, with a judgmental spirit, and uh, we understand that that type of thing is, is certainly uh, condemned in Scripture to have that judgmental, hypocritical, self-righteous uh, spirit behind us. But we do go forth with the love of God in our heart. And I want you to infiltrate not isolate. Infiltrate, not isolate. Go out into this world and shine your light. Infiltrate. Don't isolate. Number two, shine the light. Don't hide the light. Listen, we're people of God, children of the light. We are to awake and let Christ shine. The greater the darkness, the more we're tempted to hide our light. But a city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. You don't put a lamp under the table. You put it on the table. You shine the light. So God wants us to be very courageous, right? And how about, how about this? Stand for truth. Don't stand for nothing. Stand for truth. What is truth? His word is truth. Let's not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God, the salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Let's not be ashamed. And don't be ashamed of any verse in the Bible. Because a loving God spoke this loving word, and every verse is a reflection of the holiness and the justice and the loving nature of Almighty God. The Bible is God's loving word, His loving message to all of us. We need to be able to stand for that truth and speak that truth because they need to be delivered from their sins and turn to God. And if we hide that, then they go into a Christless eternity, and that's not love. Love says, stop, repent, turn to God, be saved. Well, we know that, and so we must speak that. Somebody say amen to that. Bow your heads in the presence of the Lord. Righteousness exalts a nation because it gives America's blessing, not his wrath, because it gives America moral clarity, because it gives America biblical justice, because it gives America moral citizens, and it gives America righteous leaders. Righteousness exalts a nation. We've been saved by the righteous one, Jesus. He has imputed his righteousness into our hearts by faith. And now we can be with Jesus so that we might become like Jesus so that we might go forth and act like Jesus. If you're here today and you've never given your heart to Jesus, you're in darkness, and you want to come to the light that is found in Christ and be saved, I would love to pray for you. If you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, would you please... Pray with me. I want Jesus 
to shine his light into my heart, to forgive me of my sins, to save me. I've never been saved. As far as I know it, I've never been saved. But I want to make sure today and give my heart to Christ. If you want me to pray with you, just raise your hand. Lift your hand up high so I can see it. All right, let's all stand. Let's all stand. We're going to close with this worship song. Then you're going to be released to enjoy your donuts and coffee and all this and that and this and that and this and that. But go forth, infiltrate, don't isolate. Stand for truth, right? Shine your light with the love of God in your heart. The world is perishing. We have the message. Let's be bold. Let's not shrink back. Amen, church? God bless you.